Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. about that would we ever cry about a rule five pick so yes congratulations on your 176 nick next time you come uh i will expect you have to completed your homework i think that moment i think almost ushered in the the let the kids play era even though batista was far from a kid at that And welcome to episode number 162 of Artificial Turf Wars. That sound you hear is the roar of confusion. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined, as usual, by Joshua Housem. Josh, how's it going? Hey. And because there was a move so big this week, uh, we actually got Nick Dyka dragged back to the program. Nick, welcome back to Artificial Turf Wars. Hey, Greg. Yeah, I texted Josh and I said, if we sign Roark, you have me on immediately. (laughs) Uh, We're not going to make you produce that text message. Um, Just seems embarrassing, really. All right, gentlemen. This is also an audio podcast, so that wouldn't work. (laughs) Hey, if I could produce that, that would be groundbreaking, really. Um, Obviously, we have a lot of news. Ha ha. Roark. Roark? Roark. What do you prefer? It's Roark. That's so weird, man. Why would you do that? Uh, we have the Blue Jays uh, Rule 5 draft activity. That's going to be short. Um, <laughs> the guy that they still don't have yet, uh, the guys that they wanted but don't have, um, maybe someone the teams want from them. We have your questions, desperate as they may be. And we have a do-over that's very, very, uh, I would say, homegrown, uh, which, you know, a lot of our do-overs are, to be fair. We shall begin with the big signing so far of the offseason, which, uh, uh, Josh, are you eternally or epically disappointed? No. I th- <laughs> How about we let Nick go first? Because I think I've made my, my opinion on Tanner Rorick pretty clear over previous podcasts, so you can have a chance to take this one to start. All right, Nick, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think uh, I'm either excited or disappointed he's somebody that can kind of slot in at the back of the rotation but as i'm sure basically every blue jays fan and commentator has said uh, up to this point 
they have plenty of people that can fill the back of the rotation. Um, they need some people that can kind of pitch towards the front of a rotation. So I think it's helpful in that, you know, he's a guy who's a little more proven at the major league level than a lot of their young guys, but it's not anything to really write home about if this is, you know, their only move, which I don't think it will be. But do you okay, think so- it slots in with any other moves that they might make? Exactly. Well, I mean, so just because uh, you sort of touched on it, this thing about the back of the rotation. <clears throat> yes, he's more proven. But to me, the only way Tenor Roark actually makes sense is if the Jays are trying to compete this year. Otherwise, why not let these guys sink or swim and see what you've got? It's not like it's not like last year where it was like, holy crap, we actually don't have a pitcher. You know, right. this year you've got a bunch of them. You've got, I think we said that, I said this in the last podcast, but like you've got Kay, you've got Wagusback, you've got Thornton, you have Hatch, you have Zoik, you have, uh, I can't remember this, uh, Perez. K. I mean, yeah. I said Kay, but. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. So like there, there are options this time where it, so I don't really get the idea of getting the durable fifth starter type unless you're trying to actually go for it this year. Now, the counter to that, is that in theory, signing Tenor Roark could make it easier to get a Hyunjin Ryu who will help you compete in 2021 or 2022 because it shows you're willing to spend some money and you're willing to try to improve the club. So <clears throat> I'm not entirely against the move. I'm just mostly. <laughs> yeah. Just 75 to 80% against the move. Not, not completely. I, we don't have the context yet i think I, and i think you're being fair with that um is that i highly doubt an extra 10 million dollars a year or whatever it averaged out to which seems a little rich but uh is is going to make any difference to the team in the payroll situation that we've repeatedly observed that they are in which is they are absolutely wide open for the foreseeable future um i just i <laughs> Is is this just trying to get some ducks in a row while they work on other stuff and they watched a bunch of guys drop off the board maybe and thought, well, we better make a move or we're going to have nobody? Well, it sounds like they've been going after Tanner Roark since the offseason started. I mean, based you know, on all the reports that were coming out, he was one of the guys that they zeroed in on. Yeah. And I think, Josh, to your point about them not contending this year. Uh, one thing I'm surprised about, and I guess we'll get into a little bit of this when we talk about who they did go after, is I'm surprised they didn't go after more of kind of like the high upside guys, uh, similar to like what the Rangers did last year when they brought in like Lance Lynn and Shelby Miller. Like there's guys out there, whether it's Alex Wood or T- Taiwan Walker and Jimmy Nelson. Those to me seem like if the Jays aren't set on really going for it in 2020, those guys that could kind of, maybe have more potential seem like better fits than, than Roark who I think we're, we know what he's going to be even in like a best case scenario. Yeah. And that, that's exactly what I've been essentially preaching for you know, Alex Wood. Those are the guys I, I mean, Josh Lindblom yeah. was another guy who, but you know, he signed with Milwaukee and we'll get to him, but the the guys you just named are all, <laughs> we have named all of them. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's Gosman too, who got signed. Like, yeah, they actually yeah, apparently tried to sign Gosman, but failed. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, th- there's a group of these guys that have the potential to be a piece that will help you win in 2021. And I don't think Tanner Roark is that, especially because he's 33 and, you know, Tanner Roark. Yeah. 
All right, so we'll leave. Uh, so just for those of you who haven't been following along, Tanner Rourke is really consistent at allowing more than a base runner per inning and giving up his fair share of home runs and having an ERA around four and a half-ish, maybe a little lower, but not in the AL East for the last three years. He was good in 2016. And then, yeah, the red, like, that's the same. 2014 and 16, so the ERA is under three. <laughs> so were the Blue Jays. For those of you who didn't yeah. catch that, Nick's throwing a little bit of shade there at the organization. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, Tanner Rourke is not going to be throwing up 2-8-3 ERA in the AL East <laughs> or in any division at this point. Fair enough. All right, so we'll move on from him um, because there was the Rule 5 draft. This has been, I, I would say, maybe kind of a, an interesting day the last couple of years, uh, and the Blue Jays have ended up with some some names that stayed on the roster at least for a little while, but uh, not so much this year, Josh. No, they had the fifth pick actually as well, and they passed. And uh, the reason that I think that's interesting is because – so there are rules with the Rule 5 draft where essentially if you take a guy in the Rule 5 draft, you can't cut him till May or sorry, till March. Mm-hmm. And if the Jays are really planning to make multiple free agent additions, they have – after work, they only have two spots left on their 40-man. Bravik Valera and Jonathan Davis are easy cuts. So if, it almost suggests that they might have been trying to get more than four free agents, which would be – or you know, two-for-one trades or whatever, but adding more than four people to their 40-man roster, which I think is fascinating. Um, they're certainly taking their time with it. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. No. <laughs> it's, there's like, you know, how many first basemen have signed? How many outfielders? It's zero, right? Um, well, I guess technically Brett Gardner went back to the Yankees, but other than that, no hitters have signed really. It, so, you know, I, I think that if their if their goal is to add two more pitchers, as again we'll get into why that might actually still be the idea, and some bats, then that would be a good reason not to make a play in the Rule Five draft. Uh, they did lose a player who's. Not mm-hmm. on my webpage here. Danny Jimenez. Are we crying about that? <laughs> Would we ever cry about a Rule 5 pick? Well, I mean, he's interesting. I mean, he had a 14.2 K per 9 between A and AA last year. And I would say he is 25, so that's a little old for, for high A, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, relievers are a little different i think i mean especially if you look at some of the rule fives that have happened like joe biagini was a little older too um right. you know he did well in double a in 33 innings he had 46 strikeouts which is tremendous um so he could look, looks like a guy who could be a big league reliever but you know it's still not a huge loss okay so uh that is the very short story of the rule five for the blue jays this year that leaves us with uh, the one that they haven't got yet, I guess, is who we should discuss next. So, um, Nick, we haven't actually got your opinion on Hyunjin Ryu because you haven't been around. So I'm going to leave it to you. What do you what do you think of him personally, uh, you know, from your perspective? And then what do you think the odds are that the Jays are actually going to finagle this deal? Yeah, I mean, I think earlier today I saw a tweet that the Cardinals were also interested in Ryu. Um, and I think every every day it seems like there's more and more teams coming to the forefront of kind of the free agent talks around him, which obviously doesn't bode well for Toronto. But aside from that, I know he had a a great year last year and he was a Cy Young runner up, but 
he's pitched over 120 innings twice since 2015. I think he's going to pitch next year at 33 years old. He's probably going to make a hundred million, if not more. I think when you're going to spend that much money, it would have felt a lot better to spend that money on somebody like Zach Wheeler, who's a little bit younger, albeit he has his own injury concerns, a little more upside. Um, Yeah. I, I, I don't think he's the perfect fit. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't mean the Jays shouldn't try to go after him or he couldn't be great, but uh, it is a big gamble. Uh, I don't think he's going to get over a hundred million. That would be somewhat shocking. But uh, you don't think so? No, I don't. But that's that's four years at twenty five. Um, exactly. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I don't think he's going to get that because for the reasons you just stated. You know, he's he threw one hundred eighty two innings last year, and the last time he threw over a hundred and uh, hundred and twenty seven innings was 2014. So it's hard to give that guy four years at 25 million per that said, when he has pitched, he has been universally excellent. I mean, obviously his last two years were his best years where, you know, he had 1.97 ERA in 2018 and 2.32 to lead the league in 2019. So well, I agree with you that you know Wheeler would have probably been a better fit because he's been healthy lately and he's younger. The idea, I think, just has to be just they have to get some good pitchers. It doesn't matter how they get. I don't care who it is, but it can't be the you know I I would use not even the Dallas Keuchel's of the world. Essentially, like they need to get some guys who could pitch at the front of the rotation. I think at this point they have to take some risk that other teams might not. Do you think a guy like Keuchel is going to be that much worse over like the next two or three years? When when you account for when you do account for basically the risk of injury, um, yes, you you think so because I I just think with especially with like Keuchel's ability to keep the ball on the ground and Homer's going crazy over the last couple of years. Well, I wonder, right? That's right. Yeah, I um, I just wonder if if you're going to get a better deal on, on one of the other pitchers still on the market. Oh, but what other pitchers are any good? I mean, <clears throat> you're not going to get Madison Bumgarner which I think right. everyone's just accepted. And, you know, Keuchel has been trending downwards for the last couple of years. And, you know, last year you get a bit of a pass for signing in the middle of the season, but his fastball is moving less and his control is getting worse. He's not getting as many chases on his sinker. And if he's not doing that, then he's not really as useful. Now, look, I would happily take Dallas Keuchel because he's still way better than everything else yeah. they've got. But uh, I don't think he has the upside despite the fact that he's won a Cy Young award, I don't think he has the upside to be a number two starter on a good team, which I think Ryu does. Right. Yeah. I guess it just um, comes down to how worried you are that he's going to re-injure himself and the, and miss significant chunks of the next couple of years. Oh, very. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. But, I'm going to, I'm going to come out of left field with this. Is there something the Blue Jays could give up that's worth getting David Price for? give up no yeah. absolutely not <laughs> david price has 96 million dollars left on a th- three years and he's coming off injury and he's been declining performance i mean the red sox would have to pay the blue jays to take david price they would not be trading anything for him well there goes that rumor <laughs> is, is there any player realistically on the red sox roster that could incentivize the jays to take david price I mean, absolutely, yes. I mean, a lot of people keep throwing around Andrew Benintendi. Who, yeah. You know, that that feels like a little too, shooting a little too high, I think. <laughs> yeah, and so Heim Bloom, the new GM of the Red Sox, basically 
threw cold water on this whole idea um, the, of, of, of attaching a desirable young player to Price in order to get rid of him. He he, he came out to the media and said this like that goes against what they're trying to accomplish. You know, like build the strongest farm system as possible. So like, I don't I don't think that's actually a realistic proposition. I didn't say it was realistic. I just asked if there was something. Um, yeah, and I already answered that. <laughs> in like two <laughs> seconds. Boom. Throw the hammer down. Uh, okay. So Ryu is uh, scary to both of you, uh, but still better than not having Ryu, I think is what we're saying here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think yeah. I, I don't want to speak for you, Nick, but like there are very clear risks with Hyunjin Ryu. It's just more if the Jays want to get a guy who can pitch at the front of a rotation... In free agency, he's the only one left. Agreed. All right. Speaking of guys uh, left and not left, uh, the Blue Jays kept talking about talking to people, but we have a a long list of people that have found other homes. Would you want to go over them, uh, Nick? Or get us started with one? Yeah. um, Really quickly, some of the most notable ones were Kyle Gibson, Zach Wheeler, uh, Josh Lindblom, Rick Porcello, and uh, Mike Moustakis. So a lot of them were obviously pitchers for obvious reasons. The pitching market, like the Josh alluded to earlier, has been just a hotbed and everything else, not so much. Um, So we didn't really, we haven't really talked about Porcello per se in the last couple of weeks. Um, Yeah. Was he a good fit anyway, Josh? Well, Rick Porcello is the tenor Roark of this. <laughs> um, but the end, so here's sort of why I wanted to talk about these guys. The interesting thing about Porcello is he was missed out on after they had already agreed to terms with Roark. I mean, technically that deal's not official yet, so I don't want to say signed. But And while they were still trying to get Hyunjin Ryu, which seems to be accepted by everybody. So the idea that they still wanted a solid innings eater type middle to back of the rotation guy to pair with Ryu and Anderson and Shoemaker and whomever that was, that was fascinating. So that does suggest that they are trying to really make this rotation a lot more dependable, which is good. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to fatten the rotation, you, you obviously can't stop with one, you know, Tanner Roark um, or two Tanner Roarks. If you're going to make the argument that, that, <laughs> Rick Porcello's just another one. Um, okay, so, and then Lindblom. Lindblom was, uh, you were not happy on Twitter yesterday, Josh. I'm going to tell everybody who's not on Twitter. Josh was visibly upset on Twitter that Lindblom, in his entire deal, was $9 million, which is less than one year of Tanner Roark. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm doing all the talking right now, which, sorry about that, Nick. But, uh, I mean, the reason, oh, look, I don't know enough about Lindblom, but just he seems like a guy who, as we talked about earlier when we were talking about, you know, Alex Wood and Taiwan Walker and all that, he seemed like a guy who had potential to be more than a back-of-the-rotation starter, simply because he made some changes over in Korea, had some high spin rate stuff, different pitch mix. And I would prefer that that's where they threw their money, but... It, I, it was just more the <laughs> the idea that they paid Ten O'Rourke more per year than he got over the entire three year contract was kind of just shocking to me. Yeah, I if it was my like if I was running the team, it makes more sense to me to extend a little bit for a guy like Lindblom. Say you guarantee thirteen to fifteen million, 
to me, that makes more sense than guaranteeing Kyle Gibson like $30 million. And because Gibson, again, is a guy who in two of the last three years has had an ERA close to five and really is kind of a more back of the rotation type guy than than someone with upside, which is which is what the Jays need, I think, at this point. The, another guy that they were talking about on the um, offensive side, because I think we've talked a lot about their pitching, it, it was Mike Moustakis, as you mentioned. Um, now, Mike Moustakis actually got his big contract, so good for him. I, uh, you know, the, the Blue Jays have, have have not got a lot of holes on the infield except for first base. Is, is that a big miss for them, or is that just water under the bridge, Nick? I don't get the allure of signing a guy like Moustakis. He's he has power. That's obviously his his calling card. But his other offensive features are not particularly desirable. He doesn't get on base, which is a big problem for a lot of Blue Jays hitters already. And he kind of profile. He does make a little more contact than a lot of power hitters. Um, you won't see the like you know twenty five thirty percent strikeout rates you see with the Teoscar Hernandezes and the Rowdy Tellezes of the world, but. I just think, you know, for a guy who's going to have like a 320 on base percentage, the 30 home runs are great, but is it really worth shelling out 65 million bucks? Well, I think the Jays would say no, (laughs) (laughs) because they didn't match that contract. Um, I think that his versatility was probably helpful too, because he's actually played a decent second base last year, which was shocking. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yeah. well, what I found interesting about him and also Didi Gregorius was the other guy that they went after and they couldn't get him because they didn't have enough shortstop innings for him and he wanted to stay a shortstop as long as as much as possible. I mean, this what it was fascinating about th- those two guys is that the team is clearly not anchored to we need a first baseman or we need a, a left fielder, which they don't, just the or DH. They just want to get better players, which I like that. I mean, as opposed to this, you know, let's get 500 fourth outfielders and see which one sticks it's it's let's see if we can get some guys who can actually be impact players we don't care where they are we'll find a spot for them which that's good right right i guess for me again this is just more disappointment with kind of who they're targeting i think you could get comparable production especially if you're limiting them to first base DH out of some of the like non-tendered outfielders josh i know we were kind of texting about this the other day but you know guys <laughs> like domingo santana He's probably gonna he's gonna hit he's gonna have a better on base percentage. He's probably gonna strike out more, but he's gonna hit for a comparable amount of power uh, to a guy like Mustakas. And he's you know you could get three Domingo Santanas probably for for what it's gonna cost to get Mustakas or what it did cost. Yeah, I mean we don't actually know what they were willing to pay for Mike Mustakas. We just know that Atkins and uh, Montoya went to his house to yeah. try and court him. Uh, they might just like Greek food. anything is possible call up aa um yeah yeah i mean those guys would be great and i I wouldn't be shocked if you know cj crone or santana or edwin Encarnacion or someone was the guy they ended up getting guys who are limited but i think that part of mustakas and and uh gregorius was the idea that they could play multiple positions right yeah and I, I think as you get closer to spring training, you're going to see some guys with what happened the last couple of years, some guys who really thought they would have had contracts by now not have them and make desperation signs. And although I don't like that in the offseason, I don't think that's right. If that's what's happening, then the Blue Jays would be smart to, um, you know, 
save their themselves uh until that time if there's if there's a bunch of cj crone types floating around still by the end of february um it's going to be more feasible for them to to pick up one or two of them and give them a trial in spring training rather than try and figure it out now yeah i mean as long as they get guys that that have the potential to be better i mean i, I would prefer someone who's a little more we're giving you this job because we like you. Like if they went and got Edwin or if they really love Tsutsugo from Japan. Um, I don't know exactly how he's going to translate, but you know, that's your, your plan isn't a bad a one. Horrible unintended pun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Took me a second to catch what you were saying there, but yep. Languages. I get it. I'm there with you. <laughs> All right. So we hear a lot about what the Blue Jays want. And the one thing that we've we've maybe actually got a rumor is that teams could be interested in some of the Jays' young catching and not just the ones we've seen in the majors, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think from from what I've read, the the rumors are, I think, targeted more towards Danny Jansen and then to a lesser extent, the other guys, um, which is strange to me. I think Jansen is the one with the highest prospect pedigree. I know he struggled offensively in his in his first full year in the majors but you know reese mcguire who would replace jansen i would assume if jansen gets traded he had you know a couple good weeks and he could look even worse than jansen uh if he's kind of trotted out there as a primary catcher for well, most I think of that's why season. teams are targeting Jane Jansen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I guess this is this is my way say of this is my way of saying i would be cautious about trading jansen if if i was the blue jays yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing there, too, is like there's a bunch of teams that seem to be looking for catching. I mean, the Pirates are one of the very obvious ones. And apparently the Mets are trying to upgrade and get a young catcher. And now they have six starting pitchers. So there's because they signed uh, they signed Porcello after getting Michael Walker. So there could be matchups. And I think that's where you're seeing some of this because the Jays have, as you mentioned, they have McGuire and Jansen. But then they've got, you know five or six pretty good catching prospects. So it, it's sort of one of those things where it makes sense to hear it, but until we actually see something happen, it's hard to, uh, to know where it's going. But I agree with you that if they're going to sell one, it should be McGuire. Well, the Blue Jays, uh, the Mets were trying to get rid of no Syndergaard last year, right? <laughs> yeah. Reece, I, I joked about this on Twitter earlier. Cause like they're trying to shed money. It's like, give them Reese McGuire for Noah Syndergaard and you want to contract. <laughs> I, I think that Brody Van Wagenen would be fired. <laughs> he fired himself. Ah, oh, okay. So what basically what we're saying is, uh, we're hoping that there's a lot more that's going to happen. And, and there's the appearance of a lot more that's going to happen, but not much has happened. This is the frustrating part of the off season, I think, for everybody. True. I mean, yeah, for sure. Uh, there was an interesting comment on this from uh, was uh, Joe Sheehan was was he was one of the assistant GMs, and he was just saying that they're targeting like top tier elite talent in, in trade and free agency right now, which is still what you want to hear. Which is hopefully they can actually get some of them. All right, sounds good. We're going to come back with uh, your questions and as they relate to free agency and a million other things uh, in just a couple minutes. Uh, we're back. And 
it was pointed out to me that that was not even close to a minute, but what can you do when, uh, <laughs> when your timekeeping skills are poor? And I'm in charge of editing this thing, which is really a problem. Uh, we're going to go right to the questions, though, before we get into more details about how I am deficient. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? All right. Kevin Cicheran gives us our first question of the night at Kevin Chase 4. He asks us, would you rather the Jays sign Ryu or the Jays are magically in the NL East from now on? This will be unanimous, right? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take the contrarian uh, opinion here for conversation's sake. I think the, the NL East isn't maybe that much weaker than we think. Um, the only kind of walkover team is the Marlins. Nats just won the World Series. Phillies are spending a ton of money. You know, the Mets might have the best rotation in baseball. This says from now on, not in 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Fine. You can you can be out on the ledge there. At least get away from New York. Yeah. Like you're talking about and like Boston. just the teams. Do you know what the Yankees have right now? And Tampa. <laughs> Yeah, it's Tampa's just magically always good with fifty million dollar payrolls. Yep. And the Red Sox are in their down year and they're still gonna be great. No, give me get me into a division where if a team spends two hundred million dollars, it's like, oh, that's uh, they're going for it, as opposed to oh, they're only spending two hundred million dollars. <laughs> I'm uh I'm I'm gonna be sad to see the DH go and that's about it. Truthfully. Uh otherwise I'm on Josh's team. All right. That's it. I definitely want one of these two things to happen, please. <laughs> but think about the revenue generating the Mark Shapiro and the easy Paul Beeston. They can charge more premium tickets with the Yankees and Red Sox coming to town. <laughs> yes, this is this is why the Blue Jays are not currently in the NL Central. Stupid Beeston. Okay, Alicia Wisniewski at Alicia underscore the newbie. Uh, asks, how many Hall of Famers can Joshua Howsam name? Now, this came from uh, a Sporkle quiz, which has been available for some time and has been updated since the 2019 induction, but does not include the 2021, um, with 271, 291 Hall of Famers. I took it last night. I got uh, an embarrassingly low 78 in my, whatever it was, 20 minutes to answer, because I... I don't know. I'm not that good at this. But Josh is better at this. How much better, Josh? So there are 261. 261. And I got 176. And sore fingers from all that typing. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, it's like, so here's the thing. Like, I got 176, but some of them, it's like you type the last name. It's like, oh, some other random person I've never heard of is in the Hall of Fame with the same last name. <laughs> yeah. My pro tip for anyone starting the quiz is just uh, do Smith, Johnson, Brown, and you're on your way. <laughs> <laughs> what harm? Um, so, yes, congratulations on your 176. Nick, next time you come, uh, I will expect you have to completed your homework instead of this uh deficient situation you find yourself in oh, and have you, a number for you us. can tell you can tell alicia <laughs> that i would decidedly get less than 50 i'm yeah, i think you probably sure cleared 50 but uh so i have a question so the, alicia is your daughter yes is it the newbie or the noob it's the newbie um okay yeah it was the newbie crafter was her uh one-time youtube channel 
Ah, okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll read this next question. This came from you and Ross, and it was directed to me, so I figure I'll throw it out to you guys. He and I were talking about this previously. So Ewan says, you said to me earlier in the week that you thought Shapiro hiring, the Shapiro hiring, was seen as being long-term when he was brought in. How long do you think the leash is, is on him, and do you think he's even close to being in danger of losing his job? Nick, I'll let you go. Yeah, I think from kind of like a fan's perspective, we see what Shapiro's doing, and it can sometimes uh, rub us the wrong way. But I don't know that that necessarily means he's doing things that Rogers doesn't like or that make him in danger of losing his job. Um, it, I think, I guess this is my way of saying he could be here for a while still, uh, depending on what his mandate is, because it might not be to, you know, win baseball games and 2019 or 2020 and as long as he's doing like hitting the goals that rogers wants him to hit i think that's and we don't know what those are so i I think he i think he could be doing a good job in their eyes i tend to agree with nick and i I, the part that makes me the saddest about that is what a gm's goal in the ale should be is to make life difficult for the new york yankees and boston red sox and of all things it's clear that that is not Shapiro's job um his job involves some other parameters and that's as a fan that's really disappointing to me um but yeah I I think he's got I I don't think he's in any danger of losing his job in uh 2020 I think he has to position them to make a playoff run in 2021 or he's going to have problems but I think he still gets a, a 2020 to build whatever he's been building well the interesting thing there his contract is up after 2020 so I think if he if they're giving him 2020 to do whatever, I think he's got a much longer leash too, because he'll get an extension, which will, they're not going to fire him one year into an extension. Mm-hmm. So, so this is sort of why I think he's here for a while. All right. Andy at RallyCap asks, with all the talk of flexibility, I'd like to know which one of you has tried yoga, which implies it can only be one of us. Okay. I have. <laughs> Am I yeah, me too. One? Okay, that's two no, for no, no, two, no. two. Yeah. No, no, I've not. Right, two for three. So it's the question was faulty. <laughs> <laughs> Probably didn't know Nick was going to be in the mix, though. That's the problem right there. Uh, fair, yeah. fair. What do we got next, Josh? Give Andy a pass on that one. So from Kate Stanwick at OK Stan, where does the bat flip fall in the best moments of the decade across all of MLB? Mm. Hmm. And so Kate means in terms of like, a casual MLB fan as opposed to like a Blue Jays fan? Because obviously as a Blue Jays fan, it's the best moment of the decade. No, no. She, yeah, <laughs> she means she means if, if you were to... Um, to do a baseball's list for the yeah. best yeah. moments. Top X moments. I think, I think it could crack the top five when you put it into the context of that crazy seventh inning. Um, that, was, that was a moment and a series of events that I think kind of captured the general baseball audience and... I'm yeah, to... I agree. I mean, I think that the Cubs breaking their curse is probably like number one on most people's lists. Yeah. The but... last day of 2011, that right, wild. Which was just ridiculous. And that, that yeah. to me, that's ahead. <laughs> because yeah. that, was that the game, was... game 163 day? Is that the game we're talking no, about? That no, was, it was the last day of the regular season when there was so much in the balance and it all got resolved in crazy ways. Like when the, the Rays came back from crazy de- deficit against oh. the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And then the the Red Sox blew it against the Orioles, and then the Braves had their extra inning loss, which eliminated them against the Cardinals. There was just so much going on all at the same time. Yeah. 
I'd say, you know what? I'd, I'd say Halliday's postseason no-hitter is probably up there, too. Yeah, uh, that's definitely there. Was that 2010? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> everyone. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it was his first year with the Phillies. Yeah. So right on the right on the beginning of the decade. Um yeah, I I think if you're for a single player single moment, as opposed to a you know, a day in the life of baseball or a a series like a seven seven game world series, that kind of thing, I, I think it's definitely a top three moment if you're just gonna go for for a single moment. But you know, I, I think you're probably pushing it down to, to fifth or sixth, though, in the context of some of that other stuff that you mentioned. Because, I mean, a lot happens in a decade between... Yeah, and then another one to, to mention, too, you know, the, the Angels throwing the the no-hitter after the death of Tyler, uh, of Skaggs. We were all wearing yeah, Skaggs yeah. jerseys the day before his birthday. Like, that was extremely cool, and I think that would be very high on the list. Yeah, yeah. Did so, Gordon hitting the home run? That's what I was thinking, too, yeah. Yeah. So there's a bunch of good moments, but I think it's sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you there, but I think it's safe to say this is probably in the top ten. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I don't think you can kick it out of the top ten. Because if because every time someone talks about a bat flip, someone else goes uh and re- refers to Bautista's as the defining moment where the bat flip became the the what you focused on when a home run hitter <laughs> knocked one out in a high yeah. pressure situation. I think that moment, I think, almost ushered in the the let the kids play era, even though Batista was far from a kid at that point in his career. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I think that's when we started to see bat flips and celebrations really kind of come into the baseball consciousness as something that was fun and should be enjoyed and propped up as part of the game, at least in some circles. And not to keep this going for too long, and because the, the, we still have more questions to get to, but... It is interesting in the context of moments how something that happens afterwards can totally erase a moment. Like, if the Indians had won in extra innings against the Cubs in Game 7, Rajay Davis's three-run yeah. homer to tie it against Aroldis Chapman would be one of the top moments in sports history, baseball history. But instead, it's a footnote because they lost the game. <laughs> it, it is, uh, fate is fickle when you're doing things under pressure, for sure. All right, yeah. moving on, as you said, to many other questions. Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Matt, over under on Tanner Roark's production in 2020. 170 innings pitched, 5.0 ERA. Actually, same question for him, Shoemaker, Anderson, Thornton, and Baraki. Okay, we do not have time to do the entire starting rotation. Uh, how about this? Over under on how many rotation members of those five hit the 170 inning pitched, 5.0 ERA over under? I think everybody's under on the innings. Me too. I give you one guy on the over on the innings, and um, I would say two under on the ERA, three over. Which guy? Which guy? Yeah. I, think, I think Shoemaker can give you 170 innings if he's healthy. That's, Why not? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a minor caveat there. <laughs> well, he blew out his, his ACL. Uh, it's not like he hurt his shoulder, and you're worried about that happening again. No, is, is anybody blown out their ACL twice? For for the, for the record, Matt Shoemaker has never thrown more than 160 innings in his career. This is the year. All right, and he's got two ACLs, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we're going to come back to that clip right there. If something horrible happens to 
Oh, uh, no. Shoemaker's like, all right. So there was a follow-up there from Aaron Pileski at Pileski29, assuming that this group of death in the starting rotation on <laughs> opening day, over under at two and a half on the number of them still in the rotation at year's end. I got to go under, I would think. Yeah, I think that's just natural attrition. I'd, I'd take the under on most rotations in baseball at two and a half. Well, I guess that's if you think they're going to be there all season, but at season's end. Um, oh, okay. I would say over. I think that we could at least if, get if for three some reason they, <laughs> Yeah, well, if for some reason they couldn't upgrade, uh, I think that Roark, Anderson, Shoemaker are pretty safe. And then, you know, Pearson could replace one of the other two guys. So uh, if, but, you know, please don't let this be the case. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jay at turf underscore rat one with the Homer Simpson uh, holding his custom bat uh, avatar is how much money would Ryu have to sign for elsewhere for you to think, ah, it's probably good that Jay's didn't pay that. Nick? I know we were kind of talking about it earlier, but I really think anything in that hundred million range is starting to get, starting to get expensive uh, given the risk you're taking on with him. Um, and again, that assumes you could sign someone else or a couple other comparable players if you if you don't sign him. But yeah, that's kind of I think where my head's at. Josh. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree. I mean, it would be easier to answer this if we knew what the opportunity cost of not signing him was, because we don't know what trade options are actually available to them. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's getting a little much to go to four years and a hundred million or beyond for a guy with his health history. That said, it's the Rogers money, so I don't care. Yeah, that's where I was going. (laughs) (laughs) This team has thirty-five million dollars on the books. If you paid him Steven Strasburg money for four years, I wouldn't care. (laughs) Okay, that's a little crazy, but no, I um, wouldn't personally. I don't care. I do not care about opportunity costs. I don't care about being saddled with a crappy contract. I don't care about any of that. Well, I would say, I, I would say, yeah, as a fan, you might not care about it now, but. Two years from now, when yeah. you know someone else is on the market and the Jays are trying to move an, an injured or ineffective Ryu contract at twenty-two million a year, that's when you care. And so I do think, I do think a lot of a lot of fans, I think, when they say they they're worried about the size of a contract, it's not because they're worried about Rogers writing the check. They're worried about just what it does to the Jays' payroll and team construction. You know, right. two years down the line, like, look at the Red think- Sox now. How do you think the Yankees fans, how much worry do you think they have over the um, Jacoby Ellsbury contract? Oh, man, they hate Jacoby Ellsbury. Right, but did he handcuff the team from getting Giancarlo Stanton for $300 million? No, and if, you know what, and if the Blue Jays had shown any kind of indication that they would behave like that in free agency and in team building, I'd feel the same. I'd feel like I don't care, but that's not how they behave. So I feel like as a fan, that's, that's why you do look at, at who they're paying. What it's not, not because you don't want the player to make money or, or you want a corporation to have more of it. It's because like, ultimately you're just worried about your team getting, you know, saddled with something that's going to make them worse. And I'm tired of defending the ownership that way. That's why but, I say I don't personally. But care. that's not defending the ownership. No, it's I the team think. budget, right? Like that's the, yeah. the. So, like, yes, we we understand. We totally agree that <laughs> the Jays should be able to spend, un, basically, unlimited money. But with the real world construct where that's not the case, 
then there is an issue if you're saddled with a big contract. Now, I'm going to owe Greg some nickels here because I'm going to talk about some front loading. <laughs> um, part of the way you could manage the risk with a Hyunjin Ryu is to put a lot of that contract in the next two years when the Jays have no money on their books. Yeah, that makes sense. I swear I'm going to get a nickel jar before next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh for those of you again who don't follow us on twitter i i said to josh the other day that i requested that i get a nickel every time he used the term front loading and he responded very succinctly, succinctly that he did not have that kind of money <laughs> okay we have a follow-up in the same vein which i don't think we have to go into great depth um it's a it's a yes no um raps leaf jays asks uh Hinjin ryu is a bit of an injury ticking time bomb he goes through all of his problems so he says if the blue jays have to pay 100 million for four years to get ryu which keeps coming up and he's only healthy for one and a half seasons will it be worth it yes no is no. it a cop-out to say depends when that season is <laughs> yeah um you, you know what that that's a fair question yep like, like if he's healthy and effective in 2021, and that's when the young bats have kind of come together, Nate Pearson's up, he, he's that number two starter Josh was talking about, then maybe, yeah. Or like the back half of 2021 and then 2022, when they're like, they're really ready to go. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but in general, no, $100 million for one and a half seasons of Ryu is not that's that's too much front loading (laughs) we're gonna sideload the next contract okay last question i believe is from brian no i missed one you skipped one oh i did i'm luke the ed whisperer at split letters what do you think ross atkins seizes his foot with before shoving it in his mouth cajun spice (laughs) it's definitely dry rub whatever it is (laughs) the the driest dry rub Oh man, uh, yeah. <laughs> he he's obviously got a large supply of it as well. <laughs> Brian A at BJ Arsenal eighty four uh, in a non baseball vein asks, "What are your plans for Christmas? Also, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you and all of my fellow listeners." So, there's your holiday wishes, uh, gentlemen. Uh, Nick, what do you have for Christmas? You touring this Christmas or are you off? No, no. The music industry shuts down usually around Christmas for the most part. So, um, yeah, I'm just I'm just in Ontario visiting with friends and family. Uh, You know, I try to catch up on all the the new babies that have been born in the in the year I've been on tour and visit visit all my friends, new children and eat chocolate oranges and all that good stuff. Cool. And Joshua. Uh, My wife and I are going down to Florida to visit my family. My parents live there, so it'll be nice to see the cold. Do you always have a green Christmas, or is that something just some years? No, no, no. It's like last year we were here, it's, but uh, just this year we're going down there. Uh, I, we have a very chill Christmas. It's just just my wife and my daughter and I uh, hanging out. So it's actually kind of a quiet time for your uh, of year for me. The last couple of years, and yeah, it's been nice. Uh, the running around and all that kind of got to me after a while. So we're we're chilling. So uh, and- go ahead. I was going to say, I'm not going to wish happy holidays to our listeners yet because I'm hoping that there's a move made in the next week with the Jay Sign Hyunjin Ryu and we do another podcast before the holidays start. And then they will be happy holidays. Yeah. All right. We have, of course, uh, everybody's favorite do over to do. Um, where are we here? Oh, yes. It's this one. All right. 
What would I do different? Well, well, I've never actually made a mistake. There have been a few, let's call them Stananks, that could be worthy of a do-over. Okay, uh, Nick, which member of the Blue Jays front office did I just play a recording of? <laughs> uh, I believe that is Ross Atkins, but very late at night at the, at the winter meetings. It's both of them. Yeah. Uh, just a little hoarse from a long day of talking, so he's just a little raspier than usual. But All right, uh, Josh, I will let you uh, outline the reasons that we are giving the front office so far for the offseason a do-over. Well, it's not for the off season. It's just for the, the messaging a bit at the the winter meetings there. Uh, so you, uh, you guys can weigh in some of the other ones, but just some of the things they say, like with, when Ross Atkins came out and said, "Every free agent that we talk to says, man, you guys have something special going, and I'd like to be a part of it." What? <laughs> uh, if that were the case, then their aggressive offer to Josh Lindblom of you know that somehow didn't beat three years nine million would have been accepted. You know, yeah. Their offer to Kyle Gibson would have been accepted. This is this is clearly not true. And the Jays, there are reasons that the Jays are not the desirable place to play right now, especially on a team on a one-year deal like Rick Porcello or Michael Walker or Kevin Gaussman, because the Jays are in the AL East and not a contender. So why would you come here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's special, but not at these prices. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting, one of the things that seemed to kind of percolate out of the winter meetings was, um, at least being reported, that a lot of people don't really believe, in the industry, don't believe the Jays are being completely genuine when they say things like they're doing, they're really pursuing aggressively. I I know, I forget, somebody had a quote where they said it's 90% investigation and then they walk away or something like that. Um, But... Yeah, it seems like there's just like a general feeling that they're saying one thing and doing another. Um, yeah, and now in fairness, what I part of what I think was happening there is that the Jays really zeroed in on certain guys that they wanted, and so the other guys it was maybe sort of lip service. It's like, ah, eh, well, uh, we're we're interested, you know, if we can't get these other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got the quote, too, by the way. It's the Toronto Blue Jays keep saying they're going to expand their payroll, but the industry tends to collectively nod and say, "Uh uh-huh, because they still haven't. And that's according to uh, a front office, uh, somebody in a different front, another front office. Yeah, and apparently they changed tactics, like, hard on Tuesday and started getting really aggressive with bidding. You know, they said they were being aggressive before that, (laughs) but, uh, you know, really like trying to push beyond their comfort zone. And if that's actually true, if they really have, you know, decided, okay, you know what, our valuations are off. The market is way higher than we thought. We're willing to push beyond that. That's a good thing, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's better deciding that now rather than deciding it like I said, you know, I alluded to earlier at the end of February and going, ooh, uh, like a lot of the things we have, even trying to fill in the roster in some spots that we didn't think was going to be a big deal is now a whole lot harder. I mean, if, if you have to push now, if, if that's how the market's going, bloody well push now. Uh, so the do-over, yeah. though, would be for the general idea that, that somehow, despite always being aggressive and always touching base with everyone, they seem to have turned up a whole lot less gems than the average team that's doing average things and being averagely aggressive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't even have a problem with that. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Just if they're, if the guy they want is Ryu, he hasn't signed yet. Right. 
like Wheeler got to crazy money and I get why they didn't match that. But it's just more like, you know, like Ross, Mark Shapiro got taken a task by sports Twitter for his coming about how they have the best flexibility in the league. And it's just like, no one cares about that. They care about whether you use it. Yeah. Yeah. We've got the greatest flexibility is we don't have any players yet. Those two things yeah. are... So like go sign people and then say, Hey, we had this really good flexibility. We were able to be creative and sign a pitcher or a so-and-so to a creative contract. Didn't use the words, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) It allowed us to do some things we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. (laughs) I think I broke the mic. Um, (laughs) So there, therein is your do over. uh, And that means that we have wandered our way to the end of another podcast. So I will give you an opportunity, uh, Nick, to hit me with a final thought. Yeah, just kind of in the spirit of hot stove season, I was, you know, I was following along some of the rumors of of transactions that haven't happened yet. And uh, one of the players that got mentioned being connected to Toronto was uh, Cole Calhoun for the outfielder most recently with Anaheim. And I was just so confused as to why the Jays would be interested in bringing on a 33 year old version of it, think what they already have and kind of like, you know, a two, two and a half win outfielder. Um, I just didn't really understand the thought process on that, despite, like we just said, Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro giving us almost endless quotes about their thought process <laughs> um, and how they work on free agents. Um, so my, my, I guess what I'm saying is my final thought is I hope they do kind of get, Get a little bit more creative and and take some chances on on players with higher upside, even if there's more risk involved, because 2020 is going to be a risky year for the Jays anyway. You know, it's it's not guaranteed they'll be good. But I think the the way you do get to be good is is by taking some shots that work out. Um, yeah. Josh, what do you have for us at the end of the day? Just, you know, to help out some Jays fans who are ready to jump off some ledges. It's not just here. One of the very funny things that came out from the winter meetings. So there was a big contracts handed out, all Boras clients. <laughs> Boras had like 800 and some odd million dollars worth of contracts he signed. Anthony Rendon signed with, for seven years, 245 million, I believe it was, or 235. I can't remember exactly. The Los Angeles Dodgers did not make him an offer because they did not think he was actually willing to sign in Los Angeles. He signed with the Los Angeles Angels. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> so not everybody it's not just the jays really badly misreading the market i don't think you could misread it worse than that uh, all right uh i have no final thoughts because i am uh i'm a singular man with a totally different agenda than everyone else no i, I just uh, i i think you guys have covered it quite well today and i i don't want to stomp on that so i'm just gonna say that uh, you have been joshua Housem at joshua Housem and nick dyka at nick dyka and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 162. And we'll talk at you in a couple weeks or when Hyunjin Ryu gets signed. <laughs>